0: let's turn to mark chapter 12 and i hope you have a review there's an outline that you can follow along today we're going to be in verse 29 my wife beth is with the cil missions team also two of my three kids are with her they are having a wonderful time of ministry in the appalachia mountains uh, in Harlan county kentucky which is one of the most challenged economic counties in america But they've had a great weekend so far and they're finishing their ministry this morning uh, by um, being at a local church and doing the worship and the preaching and then they'll be driving back this afternoon. So continue to pray for them as that trip reaches conclusion uh, when they arrive here at the church late this afternoon. Mark chapter 12, starting with verse 29. It's my desire today for you to be encouraged by the hope that we have in Christ. Uh, because there's a lot of reasons to be discouraged today if if we look at a lot of the indicators in culture and society. But we are not the first people who have encountered challenging situations. We, we live with this, sometimes this Um, wrong perception that we're like the only people who have ever lived in a culture that opposes God is simply not the case because Jesus ministered right in the middle of a culture that was opposed to God. In fact, if you begin to think about the Jewish people and what a minority they were within the Roman Empire and how little political power they had, and they had no organized army, the Jewish people uh, had none of the earthly assets that, that we would think we would need for power. And yet, out of this little tribe of people came the hope of the world, which is Jesus Christ and the gospel message. And so, Jesus, in the midst of difficult circumstances, taught us how to live. And so, today I want you to be encouraged with uh, the, the teaching from Mark 12 today. Let's start in verse 28. Actually, Mark 12, starting with verse 28. One of the scribes approached when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well. He asked them, he asked him, excuse me, here's the question. Which commandment is the most important of all? So you see here that if you've been to church the last three or four weeks, we continue the theme of Jesus encountering what we've called in the modern terms, gotcha questions. They're trying to get Jesus. And so here we go again. Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus, this this is most important, Jesus answered. And he quotes a scripture in verse 29, a scripture from the Torah, our Old Testament. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, 31. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Verse 32. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one and there is no one else except him. And to love him with all your heart and all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And "And when Jesus saw that he answered intelligently, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared to question him any longer. Verse 34 is kind of our key phrase today. You are not far from the kingdom of God. Today's teaching is called not far from the kingdom. And we live in this, type of polarized society where religion and the Christian religion is having less prominence and less influence and frankly, far less popularity. And there are certain cultural indicators that that make us feel that our country or our society is so far from God. And that may be true, I'm not necessarily disagreeing. Here's where I want you to be encouraged today. In the individual hearts of people, the people we work with, the people that our kids go to school with, the, the people that, that, that we don't know personally, but we have certain social interactions at restaurants and gas stations and so forth. These people are not far from the gospel. This is what I want you to hear today. I don't care what is going on, you know, what, what the Um, Opinion makers are saying on CNN or Fox News or what some of the curriculum is being imposed in our school. I'm not saying I don't care about those things. I'm saying those things don't overshadow what God has put in people's hearts. We live in a day of great opportunity. We live in a day where if we can have the eyes of the spirit to see that we have a chance to see some of the greatest greatest spiritual activity we've ever witnessed before. And I think that we need to see that our children and our teenagers, though they have great challenges, they also have great opportunity. It's a great day for Jesus to be clear, for Jesus to be distinct. For the distinction between light and darkness to be so clear that there's no mistaking, that is not a day where we can live a lukewarm, halfway type of mediocre life for Jesus. We have the opportunity to live by the original intention of Christ. Everything, disciples of Christ, taking up our cross daily and following Him. This is the opportunity that lays before us. I didn't even start preaching yet, but here we go. Have you guys tried to buy a phone lately? It is a mess. These phone companies have us so turned around on their plans. I I went to buy one in recent months. And of course, we have now four phones in our house and Lincoln will probably be our fifth in the next few months, somewhere along the line. So there's all types of different ways you can buy a phone now. You can buy it outright, but no one wants to put several hundred dollars down. So then you can it used to be you could get a contract and after a couple of years you get a new phone, but now they want you to prepay the tax and the, and then if you prepay the tax you can make a pay, you know, there's all these different plans. I was at the the store of an unnamed phone company because I know my opinion carries a lot of weight, and so I do not endorse nor defame these phone companies. And the guy explains to me the options. I said, can you explain it again? So he explains a second time, and I nodded my head, head as, a, as if I understood what he was talking about. And then after five minutes, I said, can you go back and explain that again? He explains it again. And finally, I said, I, I just made an A in advanced statistics on a doctoral level, and I have no idea what you have talked about after three explanations. I mean, it is definitely... It is definitely a system to get us. One of the most stressful, stressful things I ever do, I have not done this in a long time, is to go out to eat with a group of people at the Cheesecake Factory. Because the menu is just way too big. And people are like stressing out about, am I going to get me mahi steak quesadillas, our lobster enchiladas, our Angus beef seasoned on my salad, all of these really odd recipes, and like there's stress, there's too many choices. I've been with groups of people, there's, been a, gr- there's a group of five that I'm thinking of specifically, but uh, other groups too, where this becomes an event that we are putting stress upon our life at $20 a head the menu is just way, way too big. When we talk about tax policy, you guys want me to talk about tax policy? Because I know you want to hear politics on Sunday morning, right? Haha. Uh-huh. Um, whether you believe in a progressive tax or a equal tax, everyone can agree with this. They ought to get the thing down to one or two pages. It's just ridiculous. Whatever, it doesn't matter what philosophy you have. You should be able to fill out a page or two and, and not have to pay your CPA a couple hundred dollars uh, to pay the government even more money. The point I'm trying to make is, complexity is not better. You understand that? That Sometimes we think the more complex it is, like uh, the, the more complex in, uh, a menu is, the more complex an issue is, then the deeper it is. And so a better way to put this is, complexity is not necessarily deeper. Simple is good. Simple is appealing. This is one of the reasons uh, the Apple company has had success these last 15 years because the simplicity of it, of integration, of everything, you just take a computer out of a box, push a button, you're ready to go. You have everything you need. We just want things to be simple. Here's my first observation. The gospel is simple. Why don't you write that down? The gospel is simple. We need to not only understand this, but cherish this thought process. Well, what is the gospel? And I I preached on this earlier this year, but the gospel is God coming to us, God paying the price for us. It's not man searching after God, it's God searching after man. The gospel is Jesus, the gospel is the cross. The gospel is not just the cross, but the resurrection on the third day. The gospel is not just the cross and the resurrection, the gospel is the coming of Christ again. The gospel is Jesus and the faith that we have that is centered on him. The Old Testament leads to Jesus. The rest of the New Testament explains Jesus. Jesus is the pinnacle of our faith. That's the gospel. And unfortunately, that's just not enough for people. It's just not enough for people. In my Wednesday night class, we were discussing this and I just said, you know, Christians are bored with Jesus. They want something complex. They want something tricky. They want something that is kind of been hidden for 2,000 years, and now all of a sudden we know now because it's complex. Jesus took the whole Old Testament, the Torah, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and the Psalms and the Proverbs and all of the prophets, And he answered this question masterfully. And he said, the whole law can be summed up really easily. And he wasn't even just talking about the Old Testament that we know. He was talking about all of the rules the other rabbis have put upon the rules. Uh, So the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the rabbis put rules on top of the rules. There were the rules that God gave us called the law. And then there were interpretation of those rules that meant rules upon rules upon rules. There were so many rules that people didn't know what to follow, when to follow, how to follow them. So they tried to trick Jesus instead of all this complex, massive commandment, what is the best? And so Jesus says this, look at 29 with me. This is the most important Jesus answered. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. I've loved the fact that many churches today have really simple uh, mission statements. One that I've heard quite a bit and it came from Tom Rainer's simple church book called Love God, Love People. I bet there's there's probably 10 churches within a 10 mile radius that have that theme. Ours is very similar too. Know his love, share his love. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Jesus said, I'm gonna sum up the whole law. Now this isn't the gospel. I told you that the gospel is Jesus, God coming to man. But the byproduct of the gospel, uh, the results of that is let's love God, let's love people. So this, let's know his love, let's share his love. Let's keep things simple. Unfortunately, we live in a consumer Christian society where we, we've, been, we've been conditioned uh, to respond to Christian marketing. I do these things, so I'm not telling you doing these things are bad, but we buy books, we buy music, we pay money for concert tickets, and any type of marketing like that, marketing has to appeal to dissatisfaction with us or we don't want the product. So Christian marketing often appeals to our dissatisfaction. Like we need more of this or we need to address this issue in our life. And because of that, I need to send someone a a monthly pledge so that I can get their special product or I need to go to this bookstore and buy one of the books on the top 10 shelves or I need to listen to this type of music because if I don't, I'm not listening to the most trendy music now. I am not saying those things are bad in themselves and I participate those in, with you. So I'm not, I'm not demeaning my participation either. I'm just saying that when those things replace our central focus on Jesus in the gospel, then all we're doing is we're getting cotton candy and we're not getting the meat of the word. All we're doing is satisfying our palate for what tastes good at the moment and not getting the nutrition that feeds us. Scripture should be enough for us. The gospel message should be satisfying to us. The fact that Jesus died for every person in the world and he wants us to take that message to the world is complex and deep enough and significant enough that we should give our lives to it. And we're waiting for something else for waiting for the next secret, the next code, for waiting for the the next thing that hasn't been discovered and that doesn't point to Jesus, then we have missed it completely. So what is spiritual depth? That's the question. What is spiritual depth? Spiritual depth, no, depth, not death. That P was really important. Spiritual depth is this. Loving Jesus and loving people more. And if a deep insight that you gain in a Bible study makes you love Jesus and people more, then praise God, you've gotten deeper. But if that deep insight makes you prideful, makes you haughty, makes you demean other groups of Christians, if it makes you demean your spiritual authority, if it makes you demean other people you worship with, then the Satan has tricked you, he's deceived you, and he's come and he's caused spiritual truth to make you prideful. Spiritual depth, it means we love Jesus more and we love people more. And that is the indicator that Jesus gave us. You wanna do everything God says, love Jesus and love people more, and you'll be doing good. Last month, I went whitewater rafting with uh, the people here in our church, the the men in our church. It's always fun. Always good stories come from that. The the group I was with, we had uh, this college student. Well, college dropout, let's put it that way. He was a college student. He ended up telling us for one semester. Um, And um, and I only say that because this guy had a cool life. I mean, he was... First of all, he said every other word with dude, like dude, like, yeah, dude, we're going we're gonna to take this river, dude, it's going to be awesome, okay? Uh, and he, he would just work during the summer, and then he literally just backpacked around Africa in between whitewater rafting trips each year. So the summer was coming to an end, and this was a boat full of men, very muscular men like me, uh, and very... very uh, very mature men, guys 30s and up, I guess. And so he decided he was gonna have fun with us. He decided he was just gonna really challenge us. So when you first go whitewater rafting, the most important thing to understand is this. Your river guide says, listen to me listen to me. So you even do silly things outside of the water. He says, all right, go right. And so you row right, left, and you row left. Then he says, lean left. And we all lean left outside of the boat, lean right. And you lean right. And so you, he says, guys, whatever you do, dude, just listen to me, dude. And it's going to be cool. It's going to be rad. All right. Listen to me, dude. So I'm, you know, listening to my river guide because I don't want to die. I see Robert. Robert was in that boat. So I have a verified story here. Good. You have a witness in here. So I, we're going down the river, and, and we come to a lot of challenging areas. We come to one in particular, and, and you, you know this. Let me give you a little context here. So when your boat is tipping this way, you you lean your body this way. Are you all with me here, right? The boat's flipping over this way, and so you lean your body this way, so all the weight re calibrates and you balance differently. So our boat is coming to this huge drop off, huge drop off. And we're like hanging on the side of the boat. And I noticed that as we're hanging on the side, all of my, my, my different friends in the boat are leaning to the left. And, and I'm leaning to the left too. And I'm the one on the very edge of the boat. And my fearless river guide said, right, lean right. As the boat is tipping to the right, everyone else is tipping to the left. My river guide says, lean right. In that moment, I'm thinking of all the ramifications of authority and trusting your leaders blindly. And, and I'm just, in that split moment, I'm thinking this guy must know something I don't know. This guy must know something that everyone else in this boat doesn't know. He has so much experience on this river that he is telling me to do something that is counterintuitive to what my body is doing right now. So as the boat is tipping to the right and I hear my leader say, right, I just leaned this way and kept leaning and leaning and leaning and went all the way under into the water. It dumped me. So I start going down the river and I see the guy in front of me, the river guy in front of me, he has panic on his eyes because this is like a really treacherous part. So I'm going down the river and it took a while for them to get me in the water and I get into the water. It was exciting and, and exhilarating and we get into the water and the river guy says, dude, did I say right? I meant to say left. I nearly punched that kid in the face, man. Here it is. We're leaning to the right, and he says, go right. My instinct said left, but I just did what he said. Our instincts tell us a lot, don't they? You know, when we we talk about having a gut feeling, now we know from scientific research that the brain actually sends a signal to to our intestines that gives us that feeling that we think, no, this just isn't right. So that's just not a metaphor, that's something that actually happens. Sometimes we just feel something instinctively in our gut and says, no, this is not right, or this is right. And we need to listen to our instincts, especially when we're hanging off the edge of a river raft. The gospel, write it down, number two, is instinctive. This, this, is, this is the heart of the message I want you to understand today. And this is a great hope that we have. We have opportunity before us because when we stay focused on what Jesus wants us to focus on, which is his life and his death and his resurrection and the fact that he's gonna come to judge this world and to set this world in order, if we can focus on that message, and that can be the central message of our faith, that can be the central message of this church, and that can be what we're able to freely talk about with our neighbors and our friends and our family. We will find that people's instincts are naturally drawn to this story. And in a culture that's in our American culture, that's saying, lean right, lean right. We don't need the out, old, outdated book to tell us what. We don't need the Bible. Lean right. We don't need moral restrictions. This is free sex. Do whatever you want to, whenever you want to. Lean right. You know, we we don't need to protect life. Lean right. We we don't need to to be part of institutional religion that's corrupt. Lean right. But people instinctively, I believe this, when they objectively follow their hearts, most people want to go left and they need, they need the confidence to know this very distinct God named Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus has a wonderful personality. I don't wanna diminish his greatness by saying that, but I don't at all, because Jesus is the perfect personality. Jesus is what we all need. And the scribes knew Jesus was instinctively right. Look at verse 32. Then the scribe said to him, this is nice to see. Finally, you are right, teacher. You are right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one, and there is no one else except him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Do you see the simplicity of the gospel there? I think that People who don't know Jesus are, are outside of our family of faith are saying, hey, if we, if we have this sense that there's a God that transcends us, that has a name, a personality, that he has revealed himself as a specific God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Relationship, people can understand relationship. And people can understand a church and a group of people that know this real God of love and who is sharing that love in tangible and real ways. People can understand our love when they don't understand our theological positions. And when they understand our love first, then they may be interested in theological interpretations. One of the more hopeful scriptures in the Bible, when I think about world missions, and I think about all of the people who live in this world who have not heard the name of Jesus yet, and we have a responsibility to take the name of Jesus. But even when they don't, this scripture gives us a measure of hope. Romans 2, 14, 15. So when the Gentiles who do not have the law instinctively do what the law demands. Think about that. I, I just believe that instinctively people know that they shouldn't murder. Instinctively, people know they shouldn't take advantage of children. Instinctively, people know they shouldn't cheat. Instinctively, people know that idol worship and worship of many gods is incomplete and not right. People know there is one God, and they may not know his name yet, but they know there's, there has to be a God that's greater than this, this wood idol that I'm worshiping. There has to be a God that's greater than um, th- this concept, this this feeling that that we're worshiping as in the Eastern religions are trying to access some kind of warmth and some kind of feeling. No, there has to be a God with a specific name, with a specific revelation. There has to be a God that's greater than the humanistic ideas in academia that wants to deconstruct everything. The cry of, the cry of, the instinctive cry of mankind's heart is there has to be a real God and there has to be someone greater than me because if it's just about this life, it's just about what I know, that's simply not satisfying enough. And history has shown this to be the case. The greatest minds that have ever lived in this world that there's been a sense of emptiness until they discovered the true God. And you and I have found that to be the case too. That there's an emptiness in our soul until we're connected to the one true God, the God of the Jews who has revealed himself to us through Jesus, the one God. And so the scripture says, they instinctively do what the law demands. They are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Their conscience confirms Let's Put on verse 15. Can you put on verse 15 for me? Can we put on verse 15, please? They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. Look at this. Their conscience confirms this. People, mankind itself, in every country, in every culture, people you work with, their conscience is crying out for truth. Their instincts are crying out for God. It's easy to just, just, of go into this matter of retreat and just because of things we see in the in in television or things we see on the news or things we say in entertainment say well the world is so bad we've got to hunker down and just be this isolated group and if we choose that pathway we're going to lose opportunity to see that God is at work in people's hearts And people's hearts instinctively are looking for something deeper. Even those who may seem so opposed, sometimes those who are so outspoken against the gospel and the ways of God are those who are searching the most. There's opportunity. If God could convert Saul and make him the greatest uh, proclaimer of Christ, the man who physically killed Christians, God can do anything. He can save anyone. And people's hearts instinctively are looking for him. That's why I think that we need to see many issues people in the world care about point to Jesus. Many issues. We all have different approaches on how to solve the problems, but we all want the same problems to be solved. We care about life. Believers and non-believers care. They care about Life and life being abundant and good. Care for creation. This is the planet that God has put us upon. And we should care for this world. And we should care about what's happening to our planet. We should care about the creatures and the animals. I think people, people of this earth instinctively care for those things because God cares about them. He cares about creation. He cares about the planet. He cares about the ecosystem. He cares about the animal creatures who are here on the earth because he made them, right? And if he cares about them, we should care also. Opportunity in education, opportunity in employment, access to health care. a world with less wars and less conflict. A world that is not threatened by nuclear weapons. A world where disease is eradicated. A world where human slaves are not sold or purchased. A world where death is not final and death is not eternal. These are the instinctive things that every reasonable human being wants to happen here on this planet. And these are issues that we should care about and we should be engaged in. And we should resist the thought to say, well, since Jesus is coming back, I'm not going to care about the planet. I'm not going to care about creation. I'm not going to care about education. I'm not going to care about uh, employment opportunities. We don't care about the economy. We don't care about uh, education or anything else because we're just waiting for Jesus to come back. That is a deception. He could come back at any time. Jesus could come back at any time. I don't think he's gonna come back tonight because people have been predicting it, but he could come back tomorrow or next week or next month. Jesus could come back at any time, but until he comes back, we need to be about the Father's business and we shouldn't just retreat and we shouldn't just let Satan have his way on this earth. We should care about every segment of society. We should care. And listen, those who don't know Christ care. They care about people. They care about creation. They care about the different categories that are affecting us. And we should care also. So the cry of our heart, all of those things that are listed, you know what it points to? It points to Jesus. Jesus is the one who brings people opportunity. Jesus is the one who brings a better life. Jesus is the one who's going to end wars. Jesus is the one who's more powerful than nuclear weapons. Jesus is the one who provides for us financially and provides us the work ethic we need to have economic advancement. Jesus is the one who's going to lead to the eradication of diseases. Jesus is the one who's going to come and put social order back, and and wars are going to end, and politicians are going to get along, and stuff's going to get done. Jesus is the answer, and instinctively, those who don't know Jesus are searching for those answers, and we have the answer in him. So it is. The gospel is so instinctive. And we're so busy looking for the next complex thing that we have forgotten the simplicity of his message, to love him more and to love people. There's no deeper way to live. And the greatest theologians, the greatest theologians, the people who have studied this in context of languages and in context of history and in context of 2000 years of tradition, keep it simple to Jesus. All of the people who are trying to make a bunch of money off your own books are trying to act like they have some secret no one's ever heard of before. Keep it simple with Jesus. Keep it simple with him. Keep it simple with traditional Christianity, with that which has been tested, that which is of God, that which is is reliable, that which is found in this scripture right here. You've probably been at a basketball game Uh, where they have the halftime show. They're, They're trying to entertain the crowd for 10 or 15 minutes. And one of the things they do at these basketball games is they blindfold a person, they put them on all fours, their hands and knees, and they're supposed to crawl to another object in the middle of the court. The way they get there is by following the crowd's applause. Now, if I really wanted to show this to you, I would get down on my hands and knees and crawl around the front, but I'm just gonna let you use your imagination. So the crowd, as they're getting closer, let's say they're crawling around, they're trying to get to this table here. As they get closer, the crowd cheers, but if they veer off and start crawling another way, the crowd starts saying, no, no, no. Then they cheer and they get closer. How many know what I'm talking about? Will you raise your hand right now, if anyone? Okay, I'm just trying to decide whether i want to use this illustration in the next sermon. (laughs) Several times I've been at games like this where the person who's crawling towards the sign that gives them like a new house or $500 or whatever case it is, they're, they're getting confused by the noise of the crowd. Some are cheering, saying, yes, yes. Others are saying, no, no. And they're confused. And the time limit runs out. The blindfold comes off and they're so close to the object. They're so close, but they're just not there. The story and that illustration came to mind on this final point. Jesus is reminding us the gospel's not far. It's not far from our hearts. Our key verse today, Mark 12, 34 says this. He said to them, you are not far from the kingdom of God. I want some of you to be encouraged by this today. Someone you love, you think is so far from Jesus, but the Lord wants to remind you today, they are not so far. They are not so far from the kingdom. And sometimes that rebellion and that animosity towards God is an indicator that their spirit is agitated. And I just want to encourage you to pray, to love, to believe in the power of the message of Jesus, someone that you think is far away. Jesus says this morning, you're not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far from the kingdom of God. Now it's easy to say, well, he's saying this to a Pharisee. He's saying this to someone uh, who has studied the scripture and was Jewish and understood the things of God. It's easy to say that. But I wanna show you another, another, another story in the book of Acts. When Paul was standing before a king, King Agrippa, a man who had no background in the Jewish faith, no understanding of Jesus. And Paul had shared the gospel with him in different ways, over and over and over again. At the end of the relationship, something, something happened. Something came. He said this, verse 27 of Acts 26. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuaded me to become a Christian. You almost persuaded me to become a Christian. Maybe one of the saddest statements in the Bible But it's a statement that helps us today when we realize the gospel's not far from the hearts of people we love. Because this man who had all the political power, financial advantages, all of what the earth has to offer, came so close to coming to know Christ and who knows, maybe he did later on, the Bible doesn't record that. We don't know. No one knows a man's heart but God himself. But we know this is that if this Pharisee and this king, we're so close to the kingdom of God. They're so close to the kingdom of God. Someone that you know is closer than you think. Someone that you work with, someone you go to school with that you think is so opposed to the gospel, maybe a whole lot closer than you think. The breakthrough is on its way. The change is on its way. Guys, it's time for us to lift our hopes up a little higher. This is the life we have to live. Do we wanna just go on and live our life with this pessimistic outlook that things are going to keep getting worse and worse, maybe we need to change our indicators. Maybe we need to change our metric. Maybe we need to quit looking for earthly power and begin to see that there's a spiritual power that cannot be touched, that the gospel's going to go forth no matter who's elected, no matter what party's in charge, no matter who's governor, who's mayor, the gospel's going to go forth no matter what local policy is, the gospel's going to go forth no matter what they do in the education system because the power of the gospel cannot be touch by earthly power. It's the power of God into salvation. It's the power of God that brought Jesus out of the grave and with resurrection power. And if we focus on that, and if we proclaim that, and if that's the center of our faith, we will not lose hope. We will not be disappointed. And we have a chance to see in our day something we've never seen before. We have a chance to see people choose the Jesus without any attachments, without any ulterior motives. They're going to choose Jesus because of the greatness of who he is, not for social advantage. This is an opportunity that's before us. This scripture, I love what it says, Romans ten thirteen says this, for everyone who calls up on the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm so glad this scripture has been revealed to us because I know I need this scripture. I know that I'm not counting on my works, on my morality, on my good deeds. I'm not counting on my ability to do things the right way because I don't do the right thing do things the right way. I know this is that Jesus has made the way for me and he's made the way for you and he's made the way for everyone that that we live life with and we breathe the same air on this planet. Jesus has made the way. The gospel is not far from people. The gospel is not far from, from spreading. And when we come to a place of desperation and all we have left is Jesus, it's not a bad place to be, is it? Let me ask you this question. Could revival come to America again? You know that the colonies were very, very secular. Our founding fathers, though they had a certain respect for the Bible, they had a secular humanistic outlook that led to a a time when... Uh, when the colonies uh, were, were searching out reason where they were more than the scripture. And there's something called the Great Awakening that happened all through New England, came all down the coast, that all of a sudden that these colonies that were turned away from the Lord through the preaching of George Whitfield, through the preaching of many unnamed uh, unnamed leaders and Jonathan Edwards and others, these... These colonies begin to turn to God again. Churches begin to fill up again. And then it happened again in the 1800s, in the second great awakening. And it happened here not far from here and and up at the border of Kentucky and Tennessee as the country began to advance to the west and there needed to be new churches started that all of a sudden churches started meeting in tents, not because tents are special, it's because there was no buildings, okay? So we're not going to put a tent outside just to have a tent revival. We can have revival in the air condition, right? Y'all with me on that? But they started having a meeting in tents and meeting in outdoor places and the gospel started going outside into places that had never been before. And God begin to stir the hearts of his people in this land, in this country. And I'm going to tell you this, is that revival is not going to start through a political leader. revival is gonna begin in the church. It's gonna begin through your participation in the church, through your faithfulness in the church, through your prayers, through your devotion, your personal devotional life. If you wanna be a patriot, be someone who seeks the Lord. If you wanna be someone who loves your country, be someone who seeks the Lord and his ways. And that is the greatest thing you can do for our country. Amen? Amen. All right, let's stand together. Every time I tell myself I'm going to preach short, I preach long. I I trick myself. I'm going to tell myself, I'm going to preach a long sermon today. And I'll go short. It doesn't matter. We just want to hear God's word, don't we? Come on, let's pray. Let's pray together right now. Jesus, God, Jesus, melt our hearts, God. God, this is what's happening, and this is what's happening. Mentally, we're making some right judgments. Mentally, we're, we're, we're seeing some dark things happen. Mentally, we're seeing some negative trends, but there's also some positive trends. Churches are working together like never before. some positive trends are happening in the church. There's an openness of cooperation like never before. It's great that most churches today, you can go to a church and you don't have to have a, have a fancy outfit and you don't have to uh, put on a facade. The church is welcoming all types of, of people, no matter what their socioeconomic class is. And we're getting beyond. There, there's some positive things that are happening. But we make all of these mental evaluations, good things and bad things, but our spirits get corrupted. So this is this is what I want to speak into your life right now. Even though you may make Mental evaluations and decisions, and those are not wrong to do. It's okay to make observations and say, this is bad and this is good. The word tells us to judge things. We don't want it to corrupt our spirits. The Lord says he wants your spirit to be alive. He wants your spirit to be pliable. He wants your spirit to be hopeful because our hope is in him. Our faith is in him. Our hope is in the name of the Lord. Our our belief is in what God can do and what God's going to do. And I just want to speak to the call in your life. I want to speak to the call in your life. You will be standing before God in not many days from now. I'm not making a prediction for you. I don't know if it's going to be decades, years, whatever the case is. But I'm going to say before we know it, we're going to stand before God. And our hearts do not need to be attached to these earthly things that causes us not to follow the call of God in our lives. And I just want to speak into you whatever God's called you to do for kingdom advancement, to love him more, to love people more. Do not delay any longer. Do not put it off any longer. I I want you to answer that thing that God's put in your heart because it's not about you and it's not about your fulfillment and it's not about your satisfaction. It's about his purpose and his kingdom and it's about his purposes coming forth. And the Lord wants to say no to sin, no to sin and yes to him. And he wants us to be disciplined people and he wants us to be people who are about the father's business and these, these are things that pleases the Lord. These are things that pleases the Lord. And everything you have is his. Your job is his. Your education is his. Your athletic ability is his. Your relationship skills are his. Your music skills are his. Your ability to manage money is his. Your ability to relate to people is his. Every single thing is not yours is His. And we have to reflect that. We need to give them your ability to make a sale is his. It's his. It's his. I want us to give everything to God. Let's just begin to surrender everything to him right now. Lord, we just surrender today. I want us to surrender today. Listen, God, God doesn't want you to take home take home reservation anymore. He wants everything to God, everything to the Lord. Father, we surrender to you right now. We give everything to you right now. If you feel comfortable doing so, I know some of you don't, I don't want to impose this, but I want you just to open your palms right now, I like to surrender to the Lord. Come on. Lord, we just surrender this to you right now. Open hearts to you right now. We release these things to you. God, I want you to just begin to imagine every realm, every realm you have authority in there. It's God. it's God's, it's, God, it's God. your job, your money, Your relationship, even your marriage, your potential marriage, your future marriage, it's yours, Lord. Your health, God, it's yours. Lord. This, this whole um, desire for fitness. The Lord wants us to make sure that you're not, you're not pursuing fitness for sensuality. You're not pursuing fitness to try to attract other people to yourself. You're pursuing fitness for kingdom purposes because the Lord says more years, more decades, more time. He wants you to be able to go to, on more mission trips. He wants you to be able to have longer days seeking him, serving people. And Satan wants to come and he wants to corrupt that which is good and he wants to make it bad in your life. But the Lord says you need to give that to him. You need to give your fitness to the Lord. Some, several of you need to hear that today. This is a way Satan is making fitness an idol. He's making fitness more important to us than him. And the Lord says, I'll use fitness for my glory, but don't let Satan corrupt it. Don't let him take something good and deceive it. Don't let him take something that is beneficial and use it. Use it for darkness. Instead he wants it to be light. Father, we give everything to you. We give everything to you, Lord. We seek you, Lord. We submit everything to you. You know this this particular this particular crowd, 9 a.m. service, you are different than the 1045 service. The Lord wants you to know that. And and, and just by nature, some of you are maybe disciplined people, seasoned Christians. You're you're committed to the church, you're committed to the institution, you're busy and, and, and you're here in and out. Uh, giving God, making Him a priority, but also uh, kind of managing God into your life. The Lord is just wanting you to know this, is that He doesn't want you to manage Him any longer. The Lord wants you to let Him be the center, the centerpiece. And the Lord wants to be able to rearrange your schedule. God's saying that right now. God wants to rearrange some of your schedule. He wants you to go somewhere you usually don't go at a time you don't go. And the Lord wants you to know He's Lord of your schedule. He's the center of your schedule. He's the center of your plans. And plans are good. Plans are beneficial. Plans, uh, are are, are they set the pace. But plans are not our idols. Plans are not the centerpiece. God's the centerpiece. Jesus is the centerpiece. He is the one that gets our glory. He's the one that gets our attention. He's the one that gets our focus. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for doing that. God, you are a good God. And we praise your name. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord.